Last Friday, while many Mexican-Americans were celebrating Cinco de Mayo and the great victory of the French invading forces into Mexico, May 5th has a special place in my heart also. It's a victory day for me. It was a victory day for my spiritual life. Three years ago, on May 5th, I got up at 4 a.m. in the morning. I bought a one-way ticket to New York City at the beginning of a global pandemic. There was less than 10 people on my United Flight 4249. And on Cinco de, Cinco de, de Mayo, I said yes to leading Times Square Church and never looked back at that moment. And folks, I'm just telling you, it's been the greatest years and the hardest years, hardest three years, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. By God's grace, we're going to finish our race here. I'm constantly reminded by our amazing elders that our next assignment will be heaven and that we have no other place to go but to heaven. I just said I hope it's later better than sooner. The, greatest, the great British Christian writer G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, before you remove a fence, you need to know why it was put up in the first place. And let me just give a quick challenge to young and old leaders. For young leaders, not everything new is good and not everything old is outdated. Okay? But let me give, let me give also, listen, before all the old people get happy with me, let me just make you mad for just a second. And for all our old leaders and old pastors, everything, not everything old should continue and not everything new is evil. But we've got to, we need the Holy Spirit to help us. There are some old fences that should not be removed and should be honored. When I came on that May 5th, 2020, I felt God showed me five fences of Times Square Church that have been set up by Pastor David Wilkerson and Pastor Carter Conlon that I must honor. People have had their opinions on my fences that I knew that the Holy Spirit spoke to me and even tried to get me to rethink my position. But I'm going to do what the Holy Spirit has asked me to do. I knew that was a fence that has been put up by Pastor Carter that we will not negotiate is that is two things. Number one is that TSC worldwide prayer meeting will continue on until Jesus comes back. Is a burden for prayer. His final legacy, as he wrote in his book, It's Time to Pray, and also Pastor Carter's heart for Summit International School of Ministry, training the next generation, but yet raising up a church that prays. Um, for those around the world. And then for our founder, David Wilkerson, there were three fences that God clearly spoke to me. The first one was communion would be done and continue to be done every week. Brother Dave always had in his heart that we would celebrate the cross at this church. So if you don't ever come on a Sunday and you don't come on a Tuesday, every Tuesday it's celebrated. We celebrate. And if it's not celebrated on a Tuesday, it's because we did it on Sunday. But every week we, we, we honor the cross of Jesus Christ. The second thing that David Wilkerson felt was that as a fence I will not move is our global missions that you see every single week. Right now, your tithes and offerings, we take a percentage out of that, and by God's grace, we are right now having an influence in 63 countries around the world because of what God has done through you. But now time for the confession. It's the third one that I've not done well in. And today, we're going to rectify that. And that is the honoring, blessing, and praying for the nation of Israel. I know it is going to be controversial. But folks, listen. If heaven comes sooner than I would like, then let's just do it. I is for the nation of Israel. 
Honoring Israel is not a TSC, simply a TSC value. It has to be a value in the body of Christ around the world. I believe the word of God is so clear. You know what I'm so convinced of? This book has saved my life. It's, how many would say the truths of this book? You know, I read a story just recently. Um, the Bible saved a man in Ohio. Literally, the Bible saved him. He said he was a bus driver, and he was shot twice. Ricky Wagoner, a Dayton, Ohio, was a bus driver, making a mechanical fix outside of his bus when three assailants approached him, shot him, um, and it seemed to be a gang initiation the Daily News reported. He was shot twice in the chest at close range, but his pocket Bible absorbed the two bullets that went into him, and he is alive because of a pocket New Testament. I think it was Old and New Testament. New Testament, if it was just one, it would have just gone through. You need both the Old and the New Testament in order to do that. Unless, unless I got the most unique gift you could ever imagine. Someone gave me on Tuesday night. I brought it with me. It, it, they gave it away in World War II um, and to a, some of the soldiers in the Iraqi war. It is literally a bulletproof New Testament. This is bulletproof. So I'm ready for all of you today. I'm just telling you, whatever goes on, I am ready with my bulletproof New Testament. I want you to enter into a new blessing with me because I feel like as we begin to do this, as we begin to dig deep into this, that there is going to come a new blessing. The Word of God can not only save your life by reading it and carrying it, but it can bless your life by obeying it. And today there's going to be a lot of Bibles, so get your notes out, get ready to go here. Because I think the best way to read and obey this Bible is, is to start here. Find out what God blesses and embrace it. Find out what God blesses and embrace it. What God blesses is what God loves. And I want to support it, I want to love it, and I want to sacrifice for it. And I can't get away from it that God loves and blesses the nation of Israel. And I'll explain this in a second. Well, this is, I'm not, I'm, I'll, I'll get there in a moment. There's no doubt about it that the modern day church has to re-embrace this biblical truth. Because there's no nation in existence that we know its beginning and its future with such clarity. The Bible gives it to us. And when God spoke to Abraham about a new nation will begin, it was for Israel. God said that a nation will be both blessed and a blessing, and those that will bless it will be blessed themselves. Listen to what God said. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country. This is the beginnings. And from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you, here's, here's the beginning of it, a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse. And you will be, uh, and you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That was the beginning of Israel. The two, the two greatest things, don't miss this church, that, that critics of the Bible Hate are these two words, miracles and prophecy. These two words. See, prophecy is God foretelling the future. Miracle is God interfering in the present. It's when God shows up and does something. It's, it's, and if we believe in God, then we believe in miracles 
and we believe in prophecy. See, prophecy, get this down, is the interference of God by his words. Miracle is the interference of God by his acts. So when God begins to come in, then the climax of miracle and prophecy came at the incarnation of Jesus. But the beginning of miracle and prophecy started with the nation of Israel. Modern-day Israel is alive and thriving today because of miracles and prophecy. There's no doubt about it. Folks, listen. Pharaoh tried to drown them, but he, but he became drowned. Nebuchadnezzar tried to burn them, and his life would be over. Haman tried to hang them, and he ended up hanging on the same gallows he built for the entire nation. Hitler tried to exterminate them, but a nation formed out of them just a few years later. All the nations of the earth have persecuted this small place, these people, that they are more numerous than can be counted. And when you, when all the dust clears, you realize every persecutor is gone and the nation that God birthed is still there and thriving. For this reason, God gave them an everlasting covenant. Bible says in Genesis 17, when he continued on with Abraham, he said, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. In fact, he even says in Jeremiah 31, think of all the persecution that came. He says, thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day, the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night who stirs up the sea so that the waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Listen to this. If this fixed order departs from before me, then the offspring of Israel will cease. He says, the day that the sun and the moon don't come out, Israel will be over from being a nation before me forever. Listen to this. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will cast off the offspring of Israel. Now, folks, here's the good news. The sun rose this morning, and the moon's coming out tonight. Then here it is. Israel isn't going anywhere then. That's the promise from God himself. 300 years ago, the king of Sweden was having personal doubts about God's existence and the Bible's validity, and if the Bible was true. And he called for a group of missionaries that were raising up called the Moravians, one of the great, great missionary organizations that formed by a man named Count Zinzendorf. And they called for Zinzendorf, the king of Sweden. And he said, I need your help. The king told him, he set aside 10 hours a day to be enlightened on these matters. Prove to me that the Bible is real and God exists. And Zinzendorf said, I don't need 10 hours a day. I can do it in two words. And the skeptical king said, what are those words? And Zinzendorf simply said, the Jews. He says, that's how you know God's word is true and that God exists. Folks, it's the story of Ruth in the Bible. It's not just a love story. It's the connection of Gentile and Jew together. When the Gentile woman, Ruth, looks at Naomi and says these words, your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. That has to be a renewed covenant that comes back to us again. That we as Gentiles, a Gentile is a non-Jew that literally say, God, your people shall be my people. Folks, I think we need this covenant today. Now, I, I'm not saying this with sarcasm. I'm not saying this with scorn or even humor. I'm just saying all this based on the authority of Scripture. 
This message that I want to preach to you today, folks, it, 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 it started to live inside of me. I'm not setting you up, and listen, this is not to be humor. I'm, not, I'm just telling you, I'm not setting this up because we're taking all these tours that I'm leading to Israel. I'm not doing that. And it's not a license. I'm telling you, this is not a license for shofars in the sanctuary. We can't even deal with tambourines. So it's not even for that. The Lord knows that we're going to get through this. It is, this is a biblical worldview of why Israel is a key and a crucial timepiece to God's last day's plan. That's what this is. Folks, I, I try to go through every eye in the world. I did not want to do that. I knew this was God speaking to me. There's a lot of other eyes. I could have done intercession. And someone was asking me, what else could you do? I said, uh, the incendiary attacks of the irresistible demon. I said, I thought of every eye. But this is what God, see, three things prove that we are talking about a supernatural topic. If there is anything like for the king of Sweden that proves the existence of God, it is these three things. It's the hatred of the Jews, the survival of the Jews, and the establishing of the Jewish nation. Those three things are literally begin to open up the door for God's existence. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? Listen, the hatred of the Jews. Because God is hated, Israel is hated. Folks, I'm just telling, let's just make it as simple. This is, folks, people hate what God loves. It's not bigotry, it's antichrist. People want Israel's extermination because they want the God of heaven's extermination. Folks, the Bible says in 1 John 5, 19 that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Now listen to me carefully. Listen. The further this country moves from God in the Bible, it will not support the nation of Israel. Listen to me carefully. As we pull God out, we have no reason to support what God loves and what God begins to endorse. And it's the survival of the Jews. Folks, every genocide attempt against this nation has been thwarted by God. Every time someone rose up against that nation, God stepped in every single time. Probably the most emotional, it has to be, I, I, if not the first, maybe the second. The most emotional time in my almost 60 years of living was when I was in Germany for the 500-year celebration of the Reformation with Martin Luther. And as we were celebrating and doing pastor conferences there, they brought me a few hours away to one of the concentration camps, the Buchenwald. It was there, as you sensed, as we pulled up and walked through those fences and saw the places, most of them all gone, a few of them still there, with the extermination of that camp, of hundreds of thousands of Jews. It was an experimentation and an extermination camp. The oddest thing got me so emotional. So he walked into a museum right there in Buchenwald. And when I was looking, they had the shoes and they had um, the clothing and they had all these. But the part that brought such emotion to me is when they showed the eating utensils. It, it, it must have been tin. It, or it just, it was, they were just packed in there. But what was crazy or, or, or what, what, was, what caught me 
off guard was in all the plates and cups, they carved in pictures of their home and their children just to remember what their former life was like. And folks, I lost it there as I'm watching, I'm going, as we would take up an iPhone and go, that's my family and that's my kids and that's my house. They carved it with a fork or a knife, the utensil, into that cup. That was their only memory of a life that's been taken from them. And I almost lost it right there as I'm looking at people that were just trying to remember what their life was like. And as a madman was trying to annihilate the people that God birthed and the people that God began to start this nation, the verse came to my mind in Zechariah chapter 2. Said, for this is what the Lord Almighty says that after the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, that whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. And then this is what he says, and I will surely raise my hand against them. He says, You touch the apple of my eye, you fight me, folks. When you fight against Israel, you fight against God. That's what he says. This is the word of God. Folks, you can, listen, you can go ahead and decide what you want to believe. I'm, this book has saved my life. Why wouldn't I believe what it all says? Why wouldn't I believe every verse that's in this Bible? The only way to remove the Jew is to remove God. Let me say that again. The only way to get rid of the Jew is to get rid of God. And here's the, here's the good news. God's not going anywhere. not just simply the survival of the Jews, but also the birth of the nation. From AD 70 to 1967, the land of Palestine was ruled by 40 different nations. Today, it's under Israeli control. And from 1948 to the present, when the nation was, when the nation was established by the United Nations or called and, and that, that it was a, a nation that five wars immediately came to try to take the land away. And Israel fought five national wars since 1948 and miraculously won every one of them. That on May of 1948 was that miracle day of Israel being recognized as a nation. Scripture being fulfilled in Ezekiel 37 and Isaiah 66 that God would call his people together and in one day a nation would start. Now folks, here's the thing I want to say. To be pro-Israel is not to be anti-Arab. It's not to be anti-Middle East. To be pro-Israel is not to be political, but it's to be biblical. Now, from the beginning, Times Square Church has loved the nations and is supporting works and missionaries in 63 countries, but Israel holds a special place because from the very beginning of this pulpit, David Wilkerson, preaching from this pulpit, there was a gentleman named David Davis, a Broadway actor who got saved here at Times Square Church. Got radically saved. Then he brought his Jewish wife, his Jewish girlfriend, another Broadway actress to Times Square Church. She was skeptical at first, and then all of a sudden God got a hold of her heart. Eventually they were married here at Times Square Church. And David and Karen were the first people, we, as, as David Wilkerson had a burden for the nation of Israel, and knew that what God blessed, that, that he would bless them. And we sent out Karen and David Davis. And here's what's amazing. Your ties and offerings, your generosity allowed us to start 
32 years ago and still goes today, still supported today, Victory House. It, the House of Victory for 32 years has been a drug rehab in Israel that brings in Jews and Arabs and Gentiles and by the power of the Holy Spirit has done amazing things setting people free right there in Israel. Eventually, Pastor David had a, a, on his heart that he wanted to start a church on top of Mount Carmel. That, that the other thing that happened was this, is that on Mount Carmel is the place where Elijah fought the, the prophets of Baal. And folks, can I tell you, for decades, Times Square Church built and, and has supported uh, a church. Um, Mount Carmel Assembly is there. It is thriving. It is a church. It is one of the only churches that has Jew, Gentile, and Arab meeting together to worship Jesus in that whole nation. It is, can, can I do this? I, I, I want to show you um, the last time he was there, can I show you a video of Brother Dave talking about what was happening? Look at the screen for a moment. One of the most amazing experiences, you, you come out saying, what a mighty God we serve to see Arab Christians hugging Jewish believers, uh, to see drug addicts and former alcoholics and those who are on the streets those who hated one another, all brought together by the Lord. We are friends of Israel, and I'm a friend of Israel, always have been, and I've, I, if I've had any blessing on my life, I contribute that to one of the major factors that we prayed for Israel and honored Israel. And God said he would honor those who honor Israel. I would encourage every believer from any country that's hearing my voice at this time, if you can get here, <laughs> and by all means, you must come to Carmel Assembly on the mount where the fire fell is still falling. Hallelujah. I want you to listen to me, those that are watching around the world. God said it. I will bless those that bless you. That sentence came from the lips of God, and I believe it has never expired. I don't, believe, I don't believe that it is over, that once we enter the New Testament, that we still have a challenge. I'll walk it through with you in just a few moments. But Times Square Church has experienced the blessing of God, like David Wilkerson said, because we have blessed those who God blesses. Even right now, you saw it on the, on the offering that we've right now presently of supporting five different programs in Israel that you have allowed us to do. We have seen God do miraculous things as we have done that. I must, we must bless what God has blessed. We must love what God loves. This is what God has called us to. Let me be clear. I want to say this. The church today, the church is not Israel. Those who believe that believe the lie of a replacement theology. Those that would say that the church now is the new Israel, folks, there's nowhere in the scriptures that is found. Don't believe that. It's a replacement theology. And folks, I'm going to say it like this. This is, the, listen, I'm, I've, I've been in trouble since I've gotten here. So let me just say it the way, what, it's just, let, let's just do it. I've got a bulletproof Bible. So let me just say it. 
And here it is. And let me just say, Palestine is not the name of Israel. I want to be real clear. It was a name given by the land by Rome in the second century to deliberately blot out Israel's past and claim their land. I pray for the Palestinian people. I want God to touch them. But Palestine is not what the land of Israel called. That's Israel's land. Those who use that are not on the side of Israel. It was, it was first called Canaan and later Israel. And it's a land given to, by God according to an everlasting covenant. And here's why we need to study this and understand what the Bible says. And I know this is not a normal message, but folks, this is a biblical worldview. This is what we're trying to do as this is going all over the world, that once we're done with all 26 letters, it is what we've got to do to train and make sure that we know how God thinks in these last days. This is why we have to do this. And I knew this was going to be tough today. I wasn't expecting, I wasn't expecting uh, you know, all, all the, the, the jumping and the shout. It, but, but folks, God, God this, I, I know I'm on good ground. I know I'm on good ground. Why do we study this? Here it is, number one, so we can be confident that God keeps his words. That's why we study this. There are 30,000 promises in the Bible, and God will keep every one of them because God cannot lie. Number two, so we can be alert because Israel's prophecies are the keys to the closeness of Christ's return. That, folks, if you love the return of Jesus Christ and believe that God is going to send his son to blow that trumpet and the rapture of the church, then you've got to keep your eye on what God is doing in Israel. Why, why do we study this? So we can be warned that even greatly blessed religious people can walk away from God. That those that, that grew up in the church, folks, that, it, that, that, that they can be attacked. It's hard to believe that there is a, a sect in Judaism today called atheist Jews. How that could even take place, but it's a warning to us. Why do we study this? So we can be excited about what God loves. Learning to love what God loves. Somehow, God, when we love what God loves, it's amazing what God does in our lives. Because when we're in love with Jesus, not, not listen, not simply I go to church for the betterment of myself. I'm here for the glory of God and God's agenda. Yeah. Folks, we, we, we have turned this all this way towards us, and we have forgot to say, what do you want? What does God want for us today? And folks, sometimes what God wants is going to get in the way. Listen, I remember when I, when I fell in love with Cindy, who's here today. I remember when the, there was two things I didn't understand about her, and that was she liked dogs and hockey, and I was going, how, 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 and here's what's crazy, and then when, you, when you're in love with someone, you end up liking the things and loving the things that they love, and I happen to like dogs now, I don't even know why, and then <laughs> hockey, I didn't even understand hockey, she, that was the first time we ever went out together was to a hockey game, I don't, I, I, who knew? I don't know what a blue line is, and I don't know what offsides is, but, but when you love someone, you're going, hockey and dogs are okay. And so, because if I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you, then we're going to watch the Rangers. And if I'm going to spend the rest of my life with, well, not, well, I'm not going to watch them until next season. But if you're going to watch, if I'm, if, if I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you, I'm going to like hockey and I'm going to like dogs. Because here's the thing, because when you're in love, 
You're not afraid to change your preferences and what you want to do about yourself. And here's what it is. If you love Jesus, then here it comes. I love what he loves. That's what God is asking from us. God would take Israel and put it in the center of the world. Ezekiel 5.5, thus says the Lord, this is Jerusalem. I've set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all around her. Israel is the, most, is the spiritual center of the world. We're indebted to the Jews, folks. The Bible came from Israel. The Ten Commandments came from Israel. The Messiah came from Israel. On Saturday, as I finished my morning study, and pray, I, I literally prayed. I was telling the elders. I prayed these words. I said, I said them out loud. I said, God, I can't. I, I don't even know how I'm going to preach this. I had more inner struggle preparing this than any other message in this series. This fight was unusual. I didn't want to preach this. I wanted to do something that I knew I was, I was in a sense, felt more capable of doing. And God is my witness. I got a text within three to four minutes from some pastor in Cincinnati, Ohio. As soon as I said, I can't do this. I can't preach this. My phone went off, and a pastor from Cincinnati said this, preach with boldness, Pastor Tim, and speak whatever God has put on your heart for Sunday. So he said, I said, how would you say that? He goes, I was in the church praying, God put you on my heart, and I felt like I needed to say those words. That literally, I breathed out, I can't do this, but isn't it amazing that God wants us to love what God loves? I think the story of Balaam is significant for us to know as the church, just for a moment. Those that remember the story of Balaam thinks of a talking donkey, but it's bigger than that. Balaam is the is a Gentile prophet. He's not even a Jewish prophet. And Balak, the Moabite king, it almost as if God puts this little story in the Bible to give us a picture of our relationship with Israel. Balaam is not a Jewish prophet, and Balaam is being bribed by influential leaders not to bless Israel so they can attack Israel. Balak, the enemy king, represents those who want Israel gone and to disappear. But in order to do it, he has to go after Christian leaders who can be bribed. And let me tell you, there's more to this story than a talking donkey as you read the story. Balaam is approached by the king of Moab, Balak, which ends with a K. And the king is trying to get an upper hand and says, I want you to curse Israel for me. And this is what God tells Balaam. He says, do not go with these men. You are not to curse these people for they have been blessed. That's what he says in Numbers 22, 12. He says, don't curse them. They have been blessed. The king comes back with more money and prestige and says, I need you to do this. And then on his, on, and, and all of a sudden, in Numbers 23, the next chapter, Balaam says, how shall I curse what, whom God has not cursed? And how can I denounce what the Lord has not denounced? Then Balak said to him, don't miss this. What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, but you've actually blessed them. Must I not be careful to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth, says Balaam. Then Balak said, now here's where it gets crazy. Then Balaam says, let me give you another viewpoint. 
He says, I want you to see Israel from another vantage point. And he says, please come with me to a place where you may see them, although you will only see the extreme end of them. And then he says this, look at this now. He says, so he took him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, built seven altars, and this is what he said. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, return to Balak and say these words. Here it comes, church. He says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he, has he said it and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not make good of it? Here it comes. Behold, I've received the command to bless who, when he has blessed it, then I cannot revoke it. And he's not done. Listen to what he says. He says, he has not observed the misfortune in Jacob, nor has he has seen trouble in Israel. The Lord is his God is with him. And the shout of a king is with that nation. He says, listen, you can't touch them. There's a king that's there. That there's a king that's bigger than anyone that's on the throne that's there in that place. Hallelujah. Then Balak says this, let me give you another viewpoint. Then Balak said to Balaam, please come here. I'm going to take you to another place. He keeps trying to get him to curse Israel. Perhaps it will be agreeable with God that you curse them from this spot. Look at this. This is awesome. Verse 1 of 24, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times. Here it comes. Blessed is everyone who blesses you, and cursed is everyone who curses you. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. He struck his hands together, and Balak said to Balaam, I cause you to curse my enemies, but behold, you persisted in blessing them these three times. Folks, we will bless the nation of Israel and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Listen, I... I, I, I'm, I'm reminded constantly by my three girls that I'm an old guy. Let me just say this to you. I remember when you want to look at the weather, you just look on your phone. And if you want to know if there's a traffic jam and if you can cross over the east side because of this five-borough bike race, you look on your phone and you look for a red line. When we, we, I remember growing up when I started driving, the only way you could know what traffic was, you had to turn on the radio and had some guy in a helicopter that you had to listen. He goes, oh, it's all messed up here at the George Washington, and it's all messed up. How many remember listening to the copter report on New York News 1010, and you hear the, 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 the helicopter going, and, and that's, that's the only way. And if he didn't talk about your section of town, you're done. You have no idea what to do. But what he was saying was this, in order to know what's ahead, you need somebody high up to see what you can't see. And the problem is, is we look at things this way and not realizing we need someone really high up there to see what we can't see. Folks, I don't make my opinions on how I see this world by the Democrats or the Republicans. The UN won't dictate to me how I see Israel, and neither will anybody who's against it. But I begin to rely upon someone who's higher up than anybody else. I'm going, I need to see your viewpoint on what God sees on this. The Bible says his ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. But as high as the heavens is above the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. God, give us a higher view of how you see things. 
God would use the greatest Old Testament leader, David, to challenge us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. He would even remind us in 1 Chronicles 17, 21, who is like your people Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people. And then let me close with this. And God would use the greatest Christian in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, to challenge us to pray for the salvation of Israel. Romans 9 through 11 gets skipped because of Balak voices trying to give us different viewpoints of Romans 9 through 11 when God keeps pronouncing over every one of those chapters, I've blessed them, I've blessed them, I've blessed them, I've blessed them. And every, every critical commentator will look at that and try to figure out a way that it's not God speaking about Israel. Romans 9 through 11, I believe, is the key to understanding our connection to this. And this is what I want to close with. And I know this is so much here, folks, but I had to say this today. Romans 9, Romans 10, and Romans 11 give me a heart and a challenge. And as we get ready to close, and I say that very loosely as we get ready to close. <laughs> Romans 9 is me. I am submitting in Romans 9 to God's sovereignty, and it calls for humility. Let me explain this to you. Romans 9. Romans 9 through 11 is literally, it takes the greatest and the most important letter ever written in the New Testament, that when you read this from justification by faith through, the, through, through man's sinfulness in Romans 2 and 3, and then justification by faith in four, and then you go into five and six and, and seeing the, the death to sin and the victory that God comes. And then you see all this. And then when you hit Romans 9 through 11, it's almost like a screeching halt. People skip over that to get over to chapter 12. But these are so critical in the theology of the church. We want Romans 1 through 8 and 12 through 16, but we skip over 9 through 11. And Romans 9... It's about God's sovereignty. Listen for a moment. God knew what he was doing to start with his character before he would speak about the nation of Israel. Now, folks, listen. When you come to grips with God's sovereignty, then you come to grips with the nation of Israel. That's what he does in Romans 9. See, let me explain what sovereignty is. Here it is. Sovereignty is defined as this. God does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, without asking for your permission. That's the sovereignty of God. Let me say that again. If you want to know what sovereignty is, it's God doing whatever he wants, when he wants, how he wants, with who he wants, without asking for your permission. He's not interested. Paul starts with the Genesis story in Romans 9 of Rebekah and Isaac's children, Jacob and Esau, and something God did after they were born. That something had nothing to do with the children or the culture but with God's sovereign character. Listen to it. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything, this is Jacob and Esau, God's purpose, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand, not because of the works, but because of him who calls. Listen to this. This gets really intense. It was said to her, the older, this is, this is countercultural. the older is going to serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. 
What shall we say then? Is there injustice with God? Is there? May it never be, or if the King James people, God forbid. For he says, it says in verse, oh, we'll just stop there for a moment. And, and, and here's what's amazing. Esau is the older, Jacob is the younger, and this is not what's supposed to happen. But this is where the sovereignty of God comes in. Because we should be saying, according to culture, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But culture is not in charge. The sovereign God is in charge. And throughout the Bible, God chooses whom he wants to work with. He chooses who he wants to be in charge. He doesn't pick who everybody thinks should be put here. Folks, listen. The sovereignty of God is God exercising his prerogative to do whatever God wants to do. Let me help you with sovereignty. Here it is. For example, if you came into my home and you didn't like the way I decorated it and said, hey, you need to move this over here and you need to put that picture over here and you need to change this, here's my response. Until you buy the furniture and pay the mortgage, I don't care what your opinion is. Because until you own this house and have, and have skin in the game, what your preference is, thank you, but no thank you. The picture stays there, the couch stays there, and there's the door. So here's what you've got to understand. Why can you do it? Why? It's because God is in charge. So when you say, I don't know why he chose Israel. I don't know why. Okay, here it comes. You ready for this? God chose Israel because God is sovereign. He said, you didn't create this earth. You didn't start that nation. You didn't redeem it. But you've got an opinion from 51st and Broadway. But I'm on wall. I've got a master's degree. But have you created planets? Have you put an earth here? Have you created human beings? Then all of it, here's the word. And you don't have an opinion. I'm sovereign. I know exactly what I'm doing. God, God looked at that nation and said, you're a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. And then he says this, the Lord didn't set his love upon you because you were more in number, for you were fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. Listen to this, folks. This is what you need to get. Paul, let me just say it like this. If you ask the question, why did God choose the Jews? Then you also have to ask, why did God choose me? Don't, don't set it to the Middle East without you saying it to him. Because he never should have chose me. He never should have chose you. But here it is. He chose you because he's sovereign. He put these men, he's sovereign. You sit in the choir because God is sovereign. You get to be in the, God is, you're watching from around the world in the UK and in the field. God is sovereign today. God does it. Don't just pick on some. God is, oh Jesus help. Okay. Romans 10. Here we go. Here it is. So in Romans 9, he says, I'm sovereign. You need to walk in humility. But in Romans 10, he says, now that you know that I'm sovereign, 
I want you to co-labor with my plan. And it's going to call for you to pray for these people. Because God is sovereign, Romans 9, I must be committed to pray for Israel. Listen to Romans 10. Believe me, my friends, all I want for Israel, this is Paul speaking, is what's best for Israel. Salvation. Nothing less. I want it with all my heart, and I pray to God for it all the time. That's what Paul is saying for us to do. It's amazing. There's 43, let me just say this, there's 43 New Testament prayers that the Apostle Paul gives, but it's so conveniently that, that all of us are guilty of skipping this one, praying for the salvation of Jews in Israel. That's what God is calling us to do. Paul's prayer should be our prayer. And let me, now let me really close with this. Play Mark just closing music. Fake closing music. Okay, so here it is. Romans 9, God is sovereign. Romans 10, because he's sovereign, because he's sovereign, I begin to get to co-labor with his sovereign choice. And then Romans 11, I get to anticipate God's will being accomplished. That calls for a conviction inside of me. Pastor Tim, what do you mean? Here it comes. Listen to this. Romans 11 says this. Hath God cast away his people? What are those two words? God forbid. For I'm an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, the tribe. God hath not cast away his people. Even though right now they are blind and under discipline, God has not forgotten his people. His sovereignty in Romans 9, him asking us to co-labor and intercede in chapter 9, chapter 10, now tells us why about their future. And here's the future, and here it comes. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial happening has happened. This is the blindness that has happened in Israel today. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. That's you. That's the non-Jews. That's the salvation. There are some of you here today that are going to get saved, that you're part of the fullness of the Gentiles. That's what's amazing here. Every week, you are part of the fullness of the Gentiles. And then listen to this. And so, here it comes, all Israel. What? Folks, that's what the Bible says. All Israel will be saved, and a deliverer will come from Zion. Hallelujah. I don't, think, I don't think you can study the end times without studying Israel. If you're interested in understanding the rapture, the tribulation, Armageddon, if you're interested in prophecy, then you have to be interested in the land. You have to be interested in the people because God is not through with the Jews. Then how does this happen? And here it is. How does revival happen in Israel? How is all of Israel saved? And I'm not minimizing anybody that does conferences over there and all the stuff, but that's not where the fruit and the harvest come from. Can I, show, can I show you scripturally what God does? Here it comes. It's when Israel sees the supernatural protection of God over their nation, then they will be awakened to Jesus. I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to show it to you in the scriptures. It's when Israel, it's not going to be, listen, I'm just co-laboring and praying. God's sovereign choice chooses them. I'm going to co-labor in prayer, and then I'm going to, with anticipation, 
and conviction. Watch what God's going to do in that nation. He's not, folks, let me just tell you, I am, I am just called to pray. And here's what Zechariah, Zechariah is prophesying about the last days. And here's what he says. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the people. All who try to lift it will be injured. And all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. Here it comes. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with bewilderment, his rider with madness. I'll watch over the house of Judah. I'll strike every horse with blind. He's talking about all those that come against it. The clans of Judah will say in their hearts, something is going to come to them and they're going to say, a strong support for us are the inhabitants of Jerusalem through the Lord God, their host. And in that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a fire pot among pieces of wood and a flaming torch. So they will consume on the right hand and on the left all the surrounding people while the inhabitants of Jerusalem will again dwell in their own sites in Jerusalem. Here it comes, folks. Get ready for this. Then the Lord will save the tents of Judah first, the glory of the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem will be magnified. And in that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David and the house of David will be like God and the angel of the Lord before them. And in that day, I will set about to destroy all the nations. Now get ready now. That come, Any nation that comes against this place, God goes, I go into action. Here it comes. You ready for this? And then, look at the next verse. I will pour out on the house of David, on the house and inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication so that they will look on me, who may, this is Jesus, whom they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. They will weep bitterly over him like the winter beep, weeping over a firstborn. And in that day, there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem. Okay, get ready. Next verse, chapter 13, verse 1. And on that day, a fountain will be opened up in the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will be cleansed from their sin and impurity. He says, God is coming back to Israel. God is coming back to Jerusalem. Revive. They said they're going to see the miraculous hand of God and all of a sudden they're going to go, this isn't from us. This is the God. Of, this is Jesus that is doing this for this nation. Stand with me. I got, I, we have baptism. Folks, listen, I listed down, I'm not even going to go through them. I, I listed down 15 biblical predictions of Israel. I listed them all down. I went through them and I just, I just kept writing them down. Do you know of the 15? I began to see that 10 of the 15 are all fulfilled. Almost 80%. And what it, would, it would be unreasonable to doubt that God wouldn't fulfill the rest of all this. So what is our response to when you see these prophetic messages? Here's what Peter said. We also have this prophetic message as something completely reliable that you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the dawn and the morning star rises in your hearts. You know what he says? The filled prophecy is a light shining in a dark place. That's what he's saying. In the midst of dark times, you need a sure word. You know what prophecy is? When you see prophecy fulfilled, you have to say, God tells the truth. God tells the truth. He will tell the truth about heaven and hell. He'll tell the truth on how to get to heaven. 
He'll tell the truth about the only way to get to heaven. He'll tell the truth. And today, God is telling the truth. How, how can we be sitting here today and somebody coming into this place, maybe you came here from online, someone shared a link with you, maybe you're sitting here today and somebody sent you, hey, come meet me at this church, or a concierge at a hotel said, come, uh, go to this place if you want to hear a gospel choir, or maybe you're here today because you passed by and saw the sign. I've heard every reason why people, how in the world can somebody come to this place today and become born again hearing about Israel? Because it's not about Israel. It's about the God that keeps his word. That says, and I'm telling you this, why God would choose Israel, I have no idea. All I know he did. Why God chose me, I have no idea why. And here's, here's the great news. And God is choosing you today to give your life over to him today. Pastor Tim, I'm not religious. Pastor Tim, I've messed up. Pastor Tim, you don't even know what I did last night. Folks, it's not about me. Israel is messed up. That nation has gone into idolatry. They've turned their heart against God, but God's not through with them. And can I give you good news today, Balcony? God's not through with you. God's not through with you. You in Malaysia, the Philippines, you in Barbados, and you that are watching from Chile and Brazil, God's not through with you either. Those that are watching even right now from Ghana and from South Africa, God's not through with you in Kenya. God's not through with you. God has a plan and a purpose for you, no matter what you've done. And Israel has messed up royally. How many would say you've messed up royally in your life? Would you raise your hand? But I'm here to tell you, there is a fountain of grace from heaven for your life today. God is coming. If he can do it for a nation, he can do it for your life today. And here, how do you do it, Pastor Tim? Give your life to Jesus today. Give your life to God today. He can fulfill the prophecies of a nation. He can fulfill the purpose and the plans that he has for your life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes as we get ready to close? You're sitting here today and like this nation of Israel, you feel like, man, I'm, I don't even know how my life can be changed today. I'm here to tell you God loves you. God can change you today. God can change you from the inside out. God can work a miracle in your heart and life today. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you are presently. Something has kept you in this building today or something kept you watching continually on your phone. Maybe you started off angry going like, why are we singling out a country? Why are we doing it like this? But something wouldn't let you turn it off or walk out today. And I'm here to tell you for this reason. It's because God has a plan for your life, for your life today. And his first plan is this. He wants to change you from the inside out. He wants you to be born again. He wants to come and begin to do a miraculous work. And that can happen right now. It's called being born again. Just as you had a first birth physically, Jesus says you need a second birth spiritually. Just as Israel is going to have an infusion of a second birth, they're going to have a revelation that Jesus, whom they pierced, has come for them. You are having a revelation now. God keeps his word. My life can be changed today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, those that are watching from our annex on a screen, those that are in the balcony, the main floor, and those that are watching from around the world, speaking to those in Sweden and Denmark, those that are watching right now from Russia and China, those that are 
listening to us from Australia and Italy and the UK. I want you to listen. Today is a day that God can change you. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, he would choose me, I'm telling you he did. He said he loves you so much that he came and died on the cross for you. He's come to change you, that you can have that opportunity to say, God, come into my life and change me from the inside out. What does born again mean? It means simple as ABC, admit my sin. I believe that God sent his son in my place to die on that cross, and then I can confess him as Lord. That can happen to you today. I want to pray, pray a prayer for those that want to start a journey with God by being born again today. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that prayer, I want to be part of that. He can change a nation. He can change me. If you say, would you put me in that prayer without any hesitation? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you say, put me in that prayer today, Pastor Tim, I want, I want to start. I want a relationship with God. Would you hold up your hand as high as you can? Hold it up as high as you can. I want to see every hand that's up. Keep them up. Over there, over there, over there. Got you, got you, got you, got you, got you. Keep your hands up. A bunch of you over there see you, see you. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, balcony. Yes, yes. Got you all the way in the back up there. Yes, absolutely. If you're watching online, just put the word decided in the. Can we all pray this together? Come on, say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin my shame and my guilt and you died for it you faced hell for me so i wouldn't have to go you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth and a relationship with your father today lord jesus i turn from my sin to be born again god is my father jesus is my savior the holy spirit is my helper and heaven is my home in Jesus name and everybody said amen and amen all right three quick things and then we're done if you said that prayer and you're in person text decided to 51,000 if you're online click the link and join with those from around the world that said the same prayer with you and then folks everybody that's here in person would you join us next door I think we're gonna baptize 70 or 80 in this service and then 70 or 80 would you come next door for the next 45 minutes to an hour and celebrate we're gonna worship we're gonna clap and you're gonna hear some stories of those that are getting water baptized and we're gonna believe for God to do some great things amen so if you're getting water baptized you can make your way over there and then we're just gonna start to play some music Music as you are going out because we are already over and I'm gonna be in trouble with the water baptism team right now so go join us in the annex and you'll be there God bless you go in Jesus name thanks so much for listening we hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected also don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.